Hello and welcome back to Touch and Go. This weekend I was in Cape Coast staying at the Oasis Hotel. It was the height of luxury. We were surrounded by beautiful restaurants, outdoor showers, twinkly lights, animals and people lying on the beach. We'd wake up to the waves, uh, end, our, end our nights with drinks and music. But 500 meters to our east would sit this formidable white structure, green and brown from the waves lapping against it. And this was Cape Coast Castle. TripAdvisor tells you it's a must-see, can't be missed. And just 13 kilometers from there lies Elmina Castle. Now, we spent this weekend in blissful ignorance, with locals having a good time, dancing, spending money, really hedonism to the extreme, shooing away little kids asking for money, and, and really just focusing on ourselves. But on our return trip to Winneba, we stopped and visited the Elmina Castle. Its name paints a picture of a great photo opportunity with beautiful views and luxurious accommodation, but its truth draws something else altogether. Today, I've invited Clifford James Fee to join me in conversation about these fortified trading posts dotting the western coast of Africa. Welcome, Clifford. Thank, Thank you, you for joining Thank me today. You. Thank you. I'm, I'm glad to be here today. Thank you. So can you tell us a little bit about yourself before we begin? Okay. I'm Clifford Jamfi um, from Greater Accra region. Yeah, but I just finished with my first degree at the University of Education, Winneba. Yeah, and I'm an entrepreneur, so yes. Excellent. Well, we're lucky to have you. And in your degree, you studied history, history yeah, and yeah. gender studies. Yes, I focus mainly on gender studies, yeah. Well, I'm really lucky to have you here to talk about this, and um, I'm excited to learn from you. So let's begin. The first castle uh, came to be in 1482, and it yes. was built by the Portuguese. Sure, sure. Can you tell us the original purpose of, of it being there? Okay. So um, the Portuguese were the first Europeans to arrive in Gold Coast in um, 1471. Mm -hmm. Yes. So the main purpose for the building of this castle was to serve as accommodation for the Europeans or a means of settlement here and also to serve as a, a warehouse for um, both the imported and exported goods because when they came to get a good cause they realized uh, this place was very rich in gold to be specific even though they, we had other um, natural min uh, what was it mineral sources like timber you just name it you know so um, the, 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 the castles were from the beginning as a warehouse for these commodities gold to be exported to Europe. Okay, and yeah. today when we think of these castles, we think of them as the hubs of the slave trade. So yes. how did that shift occur? Okay, um, one factor that shifted these, um, the, Europe, the mindset of people from um, gold, trading in gold to human commodities was one, um, the demand for labor in the new world the Caribbean, the America, mm -hmm. yes. So they realized that the black man could withstand uh, harsh weather conditions, unlike um, the people working in the plantations at the new, uh, in the New World. They, they were dying off easily, and it was depopulating the people there. So what happened was that they decided, the whites or the Europeans decided to come and take the blacks so that they would be able to um, work on their plantations. So another fact, another school of thought also has it that there was... Uh, decline in gold mineral uh, mineral sources mm -hmm. here in gold coast so um, they realized that there was much profit in human trading or slavery 
uh, than other commodities, yes. So there were nearly six million slaves shipped out, uh, from what I read, um, in, in, in the time that this was yes. occurring, and approximately around 30,000 from Elmina per year. Yes. Um, so before we talk about the bigger picture, I'd like to dive into the experience of the individual yeah. uh, going through this process, living in these dungeons, in yeah. the castles, uh, spending up to three months there before yeah. either dying of um, lack of uh, lack of meeting of basic needs sure. or um, being shipped away. Yeah. So could you describe what being in the castle was like for an average male or female? Oh, okay. <laughs> being in the castle... We are living in this in this world today. I wasn't there, but yeah, of course. When um, you see the pictures, when you are being explained to, you could feel the presence of them. Now, you understand. Um, the male dungeon was divided into five chambers. Okay. Okay, and one chamber could occupy about two hundred people. It, it couldn't, but they were forced to. Um, occupy that place. 200 people were forced to occupy. Minimal work. airflow. Yes, and it was not spacious enough. So you couldn't um, lie down. You could stand still, straight. And yeah. Yes, one um, um, uh, chamber could uh, occupy 200 slaves, male slaves. Wow. So in all, one dungeon or one cell could occupy 1,000 slaves. You know, and that was the place they, they, they fed them. Uh, that was the place they messed up the you know, urinated and all that, right. you know. And it wasn't very comfortable. Some of them, because of the conditions there, went on hunger strike. Mm-hmm. Some of them committed suicide there. Mm. Yes, because the means by which they were fed was even terrible to the extent that there was a height where um, a soldier would stand and throw water. Mm. So you open your mouth and if it pours in, yeah, you are fortunate. <laughs> if it doesn't pour, then you have to wait for the next meal. You yeah. see, the, these were some of the harsh um, experiences some of the males went through. The females also, when you are being brought to the castle and maybe some, uh, the governor finds you attractive, yeah, you are being sent to the governor and uh, some call it sexual, sexual abuse though, but you are being sent to the government and the government will have an affair with you. And if you are, uh, if you are to pick a seat, fortunate enough to pick a seat, you might be free. Mm. Okay, but those who are not able you mean to, to become pregnant to become pregnant, yeah. yeah. Um, those who were, who were not pregnant were then sent back to the prison, and the guards or the soldiers also abused these women sexually, mm-hmm. you know. And women who uh, refused to have sexual intercourse with either the governor or the uh, guards who were also given severe punishment, they had a special um, uh, cell for women who were quote unquote stubborn. And they were chained to... Yeah, they were chained yeah. with their hands and their legs. And you could just imagine how it, it was. Yes. So punishments were severe. And um, can you tell us about the cell or the door of no return? The place where um, these individuals knew that their time at the castle was over, but something else was just around the corner. Yeah. Um, to me, my personal opinion, I think the door of no return will be like um, saying goodbye to mama and dada and knowing that you are going to uh, a place where you, can't, you, you shouldn't even think of coming home mm-hmm. or even think of seeing mommy and daddy again or your family again. Mm-hmm. The gate of no return was you not returning to the motherland. You are being sent to a place of nowhere to serve as a slave. Okay, so the gate of no return was um, um, the end point for every slave in Gold Coast or present-day Ghana. Mm-hmm. Yes. 
So um, I have, uh, I was reading through a book of poetry by, uh, you can probably help me with the name here, <laughs> but it's um, Kwadwo Opoki Agyeman. Kwadwo Opon Agyeman. Yeah. And he has a beautiful collection of poems. Uh, he's a professor in Ghana of English yeah. literature, and uh, the book is called Cape Coast Castle. Yeah. And one of his poems sort of expresses the sadness of yeah. the time and says, uh, Hope, said the sea, is not a method. There are too many sad stories carved in indifferent stones. Yeah. And I think um, the theme of indifference is really just astounding to me or, or like the cognitive dissonance that was so uh, apparent. Like, let's talk about the governor's lodgings or the, the British, um, the European accommodations yeah. or in, in the castle as well. How did yeah. they differ from what the, uh, the, the Africans were experiencing? Sure. But uh, the British or European um, um, uh, leaders or the governor, they had, they, they, obviously, they'll be treated fairly. The governors, as in the officials, they had their own rooms, they had their own cooks, cleaners, and all that. You see, one thing we should notice is that the slaves that were brought to the castle, the weaker ones were, were reserved for domestic um, um, purposes, like weeding, cooking, and yeah. So, one thing that is interesting is that the guards, mm -hmm. if they should flout any rules or if they should misbehave, they also had a cell. Oh. But they were placed in the cell for just like hours. Okay. Yes, for like one hour as punishment to them. But I went inside that cell it, and we compared it to the cell to the, of the uh, Africans. Yes. And, and you can't compare. You can't compare. <laughs> it's like a luxury hotel. Definitely. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes, um, that was the kind of punishment these European officials or uh, soldiers received. But with a slave, if you should misbehave, oh, it, sh it could be hell for you. You understand, yeah. yes. And also what struck me when I went was just these beautiful sort of suites that, that the governor lived in with a breakfast room and yeah. a beautiful bedroom and a conference yeah. room all overlooking the Atlantic. Yes. You know, if you if you just tilt your head just right and block your nose, it's like you'll just see um, the beauty surrounding you and you'll smell the ocean breeze. Yeah. But literally right underneath him is just human suffering Humans, and yeah. decay, right? Yeah. There's like this... this um, I personally just don't understand like the level of evil that someone has to be yeah. able to live with themselves with in, in living in accommodations like yeah. that. I, I, I will agree with you when you use the word evil because me as an entrepreneur, me as a businessman, if you are you if humans or if something if you have a commodity, you are going to make sure you handle it with care you are going to make sure you take of it take care of it so that you have high value of it so that if you are selling it it's more value for money mm -hmm. you are going to protect that but slaves were seen as um, um, commodities but yet high value were, were not placed on it even look, talking about how they were fed the kind of conditions they lived in you see so yes it's uh, it would be a right uh, stance for someone to say that the activities of the governor was evil because I feel if it was a commodity, you should place high value of, on it to get more profit. Mm -hmm. I, mean, I don't know if you understand what I'm trying to say. I do, absolutely. Yeah. Like value the, <laughs> as yeah. terrible as it sounds, value the commodity that you're yes, selling. Show, show, show it, or in this case, yeah, the definitely. people uh, some And even looking at the space for one month, the bedroom, as you did mention earlier, uh, the breakfast room and all that, you know. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, this is probably the most problematic or difficult um, concept for me to accept, but from everyone I've spoken to mm -hmm. in Ghana, mm -hmm. um, when I've brought up this, 
the topic of, of the slave trade, first of all, obviously, um, people don't like to talk about it. Yeah. It's a dark time in history. Yeah. But w- when engaging in these conversations, without a doubt, every single one includes... But you also have to look at the positives that Definitely. came out of this experience, sure. the benefits of yeah. this largest forced migration in yeah. the world. So I guess it's hard for me to think about the benefits when the consequences or, or the extent of the tragedy was so, um, so like such a deep wound. Yeah. So how, how can we talk about benefits at all? Okay. Um, yeah, I will understand if someone would uh, would not want to talk about it and will refer to it as a dark times in history because mm-hmm. uh, the benefits, uh, the the damage, uh, the damage, it, uh, damages. Sorry, it's caused supersedes the um, um, the benefits. Yeah. The benefits here we can talk about having access to new commodities because we had access trading in slaves and other stuff. We had access to guns, gunpowders, and all that. It's a benefit because during that time there were some entire tribal wars. The Asantes were constantly attacking the coastal states because they wanted to have direct link, trade links to, to the British. So yes, yeah, one advantage and also the introduction of Christianity, even the building of churches. Because one appalling thing too is just on top of the male dungeon was a church. Mm-hmm. You see, that, that, but yes, we are still having that in existence to date. That's what I don't understand. Like you here, see. Ghana, the majority the the majority religion is Christianity. Christianity. And if you yeah. walk along the streets, you'll see signs above shops saying "Jesus is with me," Definitely. "God is <laughs> listening," "God is my witness." Yeah. And I guess what's difficult for me is trying to abs- like absorb the fact that mm-hmm. when the Europeans brought um, God mm-hmm. or like, Christian God, Jesus, yeah. to um, Africa, they also brought with it. Um, the slave trade. Yeah. So how could Ghanaians sort of embrace Christianity with open arms when in a way Christianity is intrinsically linked with all of these terrible yeah. parts of our past here? Yeah. Yeah. The funny thing too is even the sh- these ships that carried um, the slaves to Europe, most of them were named like God is love ship. The names were having mm. like Christian symbols all over it. Wow. But the I think, in my personal view, is um, uh, Christ, uh, we the majority of the population at that time accepted Christianity very fast because of um, certain cultural practices that we used to practice. For example, if you should go and steal, if someone should go and steal, like the penalty was too harsh, either you were being killed or something. Looking mm-hmm. at the trocosi system, I don't know if you've heard about no. female genital mutilation. Oh, terrible! All these practices were very harsh. So, I think majority of the uh, of the Ghanaians or indigenous people accepted Christianity because of how flexible it was. Mm-hmm. Because if you should sin and pray to the Heavenly Father, he's going to forgive you. Right. And if you should sin against your brother, he should, he's supposed to give you 77 times 7, you know. Yeah. So, per my view, I think uh, the reason why Ghanaians, we've accepted Christianity, even through this dark, uh, those dark times, is that it's a little bit flexible than the uh, traditional religion. Yeah. I think um, the, the poet that I referred to earlier, two of his poems sort of refer to God. He says, and the castle watched fat as God. And that, that struck me because I think he too sort of sees that this God that um, we believe, you know, is watching over us yeah. is, is, is acting in the same sense of complacency, let, letting this happen, um, watching. Uh, he also says, 
um, a chapel sat on my temple mm-hmm. um, from the perspective of someone going going through um, living living in the castle yeah. and it's sort of like this uh, there's like an undercurrent yeah, of yeah, yeah. Um, just like a bit of a revolt against the the religious, the religious. nature of society today yeah you know <laughs> there is this ongoing argument that um, the God we are serving today the God in heaven our forefathers were already worshiping him mm. before even the introduction of Christianity mm. The only difference was that we're polytheist, we're having many gods, and we're worshiping the Almighty God through the smaller gods. Right. You know, traditional traditional, traditional gods. Religion, so, yeah. uh, our forefathers used to call the God in heaven, Onyame, mean it's referring to God. You know, but theirs is they worship through Asasea, which is a smaller god. You know, but the only difference here is that the white man brought Jesus. Okay. Okay, and we were having Asasia and the rest, yeah. but the right white man brought Jesus to represent all these smaller gods. Mm. You understand? So some, it's understandable if uh, my professor is uh, trying to refer to it as God, yeah. because yeah, if you say God in uh, local language, Nyungo in Ga is the same as God. Nyami in Chi is the same as God. Mau in Ever is the same as God. Okay. You understand? So, yes. Yeah, that actually provides a lot of clarity because yeah. it, it just shows a sense of belief that goes beyond what the yeah. Europeans brought yeah. here. Yeah. Um, so, I appreciate that. Yeah. Um, on the tour, our guide who, let's just say we butted heads a little <laughs> bit. <laughs> he said um, when I asked him about any resentment he might feel towards... Um, just the engagement of the slave trade in general, uh, that it's important to leave the past in the past. Now, this really struck me because his job is actually to yeah, revive yeah. the past and basically relive it with every tour that he gives. So yeah. I, I guess what what's lacking for me in a lot of the conversations I have with certain individuals, I would say yourself not included, yeah, yeah. is sort of like the, the, the passion, like... Um, Nat Armetifio, I think. <laughs> he is he's a past mayor of Accra and, okay. and now he's a local historian. Okay. He talks about this sort of willful amnesia okay. by the Ghanaians to to forget um, to forget what happened here. I have I have just an, another quote. Okay. Um, you know he says, uh, again, it's, it's the poet, he says, uh, the history brings a drop of amnesia widening in its pool. It hates to intrude, fears to offend the past with averted eyes, and is careful not to impose. It's a gift of absence to the present. And again, that's, it's, it's, it, it kind of, I understand that people need a way to move forward, oh, yeah. and there's this psychological need to... Yeah. Um, keep the past in the past yeah. um, but I think that this that that quote that little bit of poetry there really explains how like the past is lingering yeah. you know you can't simply close your eyes to it on and the, move on yeah. with like a free conscience uh, it's, it's true because we, we can um, my department we have a slogan uh, ashes association of history Depart- uh, history students sorry we always say the past has something to say Mm. The past cannot tell the future or cannot predict the future, but at least it has something to say. Now, we can't forget about our history. No matter what, even though it's the dark moment of black history or African history, we can't still forget about it. And even more than that, um, another term I came across was sanitized history. Uh, (laughs) I don't know what... 
in what context? I think what I mean by that is another thing my guide said was that this is not the time to blame either the whites or the blacks for what happened in the past. And sanitized history in my mind means like making everything seem sort of gray. Everything seems sort of okay. You know, what, what, what? then with me, I think we should uh, not try to twist history, you know. Yes, we are not blaming anyone. We are not blaming the Europeans. Yes, they had a major role in it. So did our traditional leaders have a major role to play in it. Because one, who gave them the land to settle on? Yeah. Yes, who, who asked them to? Look, even after the slave trade, there was the bond of 1844 between uh, the British and the coastal chiefs. Who told them to? Like, yeah. I don't know if you understand what I'm saying. I do. They were a part of it. They, and and they all, themselves, some chiefs, from what I understood, also engaged in some trading of trading, humans yes. as well. And mind you, slave trade was already occurring in good course before even the arrival of the Europeans. Okay. Because there were, there were wars between the Fantis, the Asantis, the Dentra, and the Akwemu people so okay. if you have been if a section of a group is being defeated they are being captured as slaves so uh, we are not blaming anyone we are just putting history in its right place and saying that oh no this and this is what happened we can't try to twist or make it seems okay no there was a problem with it we have learned from it mm-hmm. and that's what i think should shape us as Ghanaians, as africans as uh, humans being it black or white, yeah. it should shape our mentality, it should shape us, and we should know who we are. So to reserve judgment for for an, another place, another time. Like Definitely. There's, my last quote, I promise, but <laughs> oh, I no. just really <laughs> loved his poetry. Um, he says, the palm trees shrug their shoulders against the wind. Okay. And that's sort of, I, I think that that could be seen as some kind of complacency, but also um, like a, an ability to... Mm-hmm let go, an ability to um, withhold the judgment that you may feel against the oppressor or the oppressed um, okay. and just sort of be, be the palm tree, you yeah. know, just observe and learn and, you know, let it weather you a little bit, um, but then you, you still stand. Yeah, I think this will cut across being black or white. You know, right now, some, uh, it will surprise you that some white people think that Africa, there is no place called Africa. Mm. They think we are still apes here. Mm. That's the mentality some Europeans have. And some blacks also see the European, the white man as evil, you know, because of the history they have in the past. And I, I think I will agree with what uh, the poem is saying, the quote you just read. Um, it's, it's, it's difficult, but we can do it. It's not undoable. Mm-hmm. We can do it. Mm-hmm. But just that it's difficult and we have to, it has to take time. We just need more education. We just need more interaction. We are just asking people to come to Africa, come in and experience. We're also saying that, okay, we shouldn't see the, the black, we the blacks, we shouldn't see the whites as evil. We should just see them as one of us. It was just a history, something that happened. And yes, we see them and we remember, but it shouldn't give um, um, a room for hatred or a room for... Um, I don't know how best I can put it, you know. Mm-hmm. Yes. We so, just, it happened and we should We, we, we shouldn't on. just, we are not saying we should leave history behind, but we should move on in a positive manner. Yeah. Yes, we should move on as one people. Yeah. We should move on as, okay, no matter whether, even <laughs> Jesus Christ and Satan, 
they had their dispute, but they've moved on. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> you see, so we humans, yes, we have history. There have been. We we can't blame it entirely on the whites. We can't blame it entirely to on the just that we suffered the most. Sure. But we can't blame it entirely because if our leaders or our chiefs hadn't given certain um, opportunities to them, they wouldn't have gone this far. Sure. Yes. So. One one other answer that I got which which resonated with me was that perhaps this is actually just a like a psychological. Um, tactic that we need to employ so that we can keep moving forward. Because if we build up this resentment and this anger and this hatred, um, no, no good can really come of that either. Then, yeah. So I, I mean, I would guess that it's probably um, heavily emphasized in the education system. Okay. Not, not necessarily feelings of forgiveness or letting go, but just like you said, building on what has already happened to create yeah. a, a better future, whatever yeah. that looks definitely, like. Definitely, definitely. I think. Uh, that, that, that would be it too because uh, hatred is just going to stir up uh, more fire yeah. you know and it's not going to take us anywhere because mm. as it stands now even till date we depend on each other no matter how much we depend the Europeans depend on we Africans we also depend on them sure. you know so I think sometimes to what some scholars also try they personalize history so much Yeah. so because um, it's happened to my people then which means I'm for my people. They, as a historian, you know, you have to be, uh, you shouldn't pick sides, you shouldn't Unbiased, be biased, yeah. you know. Yeah. But some, most students and even historians and try to personalize it and make it their own and see, oh, okay, so my gra- maybe my great-great-grandmother was part. If this was really there to her, then no, man, I'm not going to forgive it. Like, you right. know, there is that. No, yes. I understand that. I, I think I think what I'm learning from this conversation and also just like the ethos, the atmosphere that I feel um, from the people here is that it, it is very nuanced and yeah. we have the choice to either live um, and like let the past hold us back or yeah. to to, you know, understand the, the truth of our history, but but also move forward. Yeah. So my last question will just be, what do you think is the role or responsibility of each of us, whether, it, whether we be black or white um, today in respect to this history? What what do we owe it to the people who um, went through this? Where do we stand today? As Africans or as uh, well, like Europeans, black or white? Yeah, but both. Both. Anyone. Okay. I, I, I think, um, let me start with we Africans first, that we should, um, no one is saying we should forget about the past. We should forget about our history. We should forget about who we are or what happened to us. But we should learn from it. We should try to reconcile with the past, okay, and make, let something better comes out of it. Mm-hmm. And uh, to the other party, which is the Europeans, I think um, they should, in one way or the other, try to respect uh, some of us or some people, their grievances when it comes to uh, this part of history. Uh, because no matter what, the damage has already been caused from both sides. Sure. Yes, I, I said this earlier on that we have suffered the majority of it, but no matter what, it has already been caused. We can't undo it. Sure. The better, the best thing for us now, as Africans, as Europeans, as Blacks, as Whites, is that we should try and reconcile with the past and move on. I think there are better places and better things for us. That's that's amazing, and and it sort of reminds me uh, while we were there um, on the second floor we could hear and see uh, little kids running, running around, around yeah. the chambers. And yeah. it was sort of this, this very strange um, 
like juxtaposition of this history where basically um, of oppression and mm-hmm. and servitude uh, sort of in in contrast to the the, the freedom of their laughter and their, yeah. their running around and it was really yeah. beautiful definitely yeah definitely. Um, and I think I think what you said too. There's just I, I told you it was my last quote, but I have one more. <laughs> this is a different book of poems uh, by Kwesi Bru. Yeah, yeah. Kwesi yeah. Um, a, a book called Return of No Return, a book of poetry, and and he said, "For remembrance shall make them whole." And I think that that basically summarizes our conversation mm-hmm. here. That mm-hmm. um, it's not about forgetting. It's not even about forgiving. It's yeah. about recognizing, recognizing the past yeah. and and building. Yeah. So thank you so much, Clifford, thank for you so much talking for to me. me. I learned so much. so much from you. I also learned a lot from you. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, thank you to all of our listeners for, for joining in. And we'll be back soon with more from Ghana.